Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. Today, we're going to focus a little bit on the nexus of water and climate change with Gia Schneider, who's the CEO of Mattel Energy, which is a hydro turbine manufacturer backed by both the Breakthrough Ventures and Schneider Electric. They've developed a, a sustainable and climate resilient solution. I will be first to say I'm not a hydro expert. I learned a lot today about the opportunity and the market opportunity for this. And I hope you enjoy the show. Gia, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only. Yeah, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I uh, really look forward to talking about the work you're doing today, but I want to step back. And as we are talking offline, you, you grew up in Texas. Uh, now you're in California. Take me through the, you know, growing up in Texas, is, were there any moments that got you interested in climate and the environment? Or what, sort of, what sort of drove you down this path? Yeah, I would say actually pretty early on. So I grew up um, out on a little farm uh, and we were always really close, I guess, to, to our environment. So we spent a lot of time outside. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so early on, actually, started, we started to see things like I remember in my early childhood, every winter we would have snow, and like our pond would freeze over. And by the time I was in, certainly in middle school, that never happened anymore. You know, right. there's, so there's like some visual things that were pretty obvious, actually, in a very, in a relatively short time period. Um, you know, it's all anecdotal, so not, sure. but, but, you know, those things kind of matter. And then we also spent a lot of time, like every summer we went out to Colorado because my brother's an avid fly fisherman. And, um, and we would go camping out in this place in Southern Colorado and go fishing for a couple of weeks every summer. And, uh, that was pretty fascinating because we basically got to see side by side, this little natural experiment, two forks of the same river, one fork was wilderness area. One fork was managed um, for grazing, um, for oh, BLM, yeah. and um, and one fork had a lot of beaver dams and very you know rich, diverse habitat. The fishing was excellent, um, and the fork that was managed for grazing, for whatever reason, historically all the beaver had been removed. And fishing was terrible. Um, right. And so again, we had some of these anecdotal things looking at like thinking about, you know, not just climate change, but also how climate is related to water. And at the end of the day, that all then sparked this like interest that yeah. still goes today in terms of, you know, how do we solve this problem of, of getting energy in a more sustainable way so that we can, you know, enjoy all the things that we, we like that's yeah. enabled by energy. Right. But do so. So let's that. come back to that. I want to come back to your brother too, for folks that don't know you, you, you co-founded the company you're at today. Uh, yeah. Any other siblings, by the way? Uh, we have an older brother as well. And, uh, is he but, on the board or is there no relationship? No, <laughs> no, no. no he, he, he's off doing his own thing. Yeah. You, end up, you end up going to MIT, mm-hmm. right? And you focus on chemical engineering and, and economics there. What, what sort of led you in that trajectory? Mostly at that time, you know, a lot of it is because chemical engineering is basically a process engineering discipline. Yeah. And, uh, and again, a lot of my interest has tended to be towards like systems and processes and like how, like how do you optimize, you know, system level processes. So chemical engineering is a pretty natural fit for that. And I mean, it, it's, it, it wasn't like I, I had, you know, 
perfect inside and was totally organized and a new, you know, it was just like, was, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, uh, don't want to claim that for myself at, you know, 18 or whatever. Um, right. but yeah, like it, it, it's, 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 it's because of that, like in general, you know, I like thinking about how you, how do you create solutions for systems where a lot of that stuff is driven by optimizing processes, some of which could be engineering, but some, but a lot of which are actually financial, economic, political yeah. policy. No, that's true. I mean, there's so many folks in the, that come out of the engineering perspective or are or, or developing concepts and often don't think through both the business plan and the regulatory implications of what they're doing. And especially in the industry that we work in, it's so important to think about all those different pieces of the ecosystem to so your company can actually move forward. Yeah, yeah. So you went from there to, did you go to Constellation next? Uh, I went to Accenture actually for out of school to work as part of their energy practice. And that was a bit of like, I wanted, I was trying to figure out some way to get more exposure to energy, the yeah. energy industry more broadly. Right? So this is like, which is not what you focused at MIT, right? It was more of the sort of chemical engineering economics and then energy came next. Uh, yeah, well, at the, M- the MIT Energy Club, like I think it started my last year at MIT. So, you know, now energy is like, there's a huge effort right. at MIT, you know, organized around energy. But when I was there, like it was only in that last year that that actually the first interdisciplinary classes started to be offered around like energy um, and engineering. And um, I took those, but... Yeah, it was all. And, and so like, I knew I wanted to be focused in this space. It's just like, it was hard to, you know, it was late nineties. Yeah. And, and I remember. Yeah, like, I was an elementary education major. So I told totally, you, you're, you were steps above me when you're, <laughs> you're already like, there. So I remember researching like, okay, how would you, you know, write a business plan actually around, you know, a new energy tech and like trying to find, like going to Sloan to look up like wholesale energy price. It was just you, like finding information was yeah. hard. Totally, <laughs> so, totally. So, um, you know, Accenture, I mean, Constellation, uh, also you had a, so talk me through a little bit about your career Constellation, because that led to some really interesting stuff that you're doing on carbon and, and led you to credit suites, which I think is a really interesting next step. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to Constellation actually through Accenture. Constellation was my last client at, at Accenture. They got an offer to go and work, um, on the desk, uh, in Baltimore, uh, in Baltimore. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, so I was part of the strategy group, which did, uh, at, Con- at Constellation, which worked on. Uh, basically finding ways to manage various types of risk around assets, around physical assets. And, uh, and so kind of coming out of that work, uh, a couple of us had an interest, had a couple interesting ideas with respect to like weather derivatives and, you know, the ability to create effective hedges with uh, particularly with natural gas to hedge electricity. Um, at the end of the day, you know, weather drives variable load risk for power, which is where you get, you know, the big excursions one way or another um, in power pricing. And gas, but yet NYMEX natural gas is a much more deeply traded futures kind of like from a from a trading perspective. So right. yeah, so there was a so the question was we we thought we had some interesting ideas on that. A couple of us left. Um, we had a brief stint where we we uh, yeah, thought we were going to start our own hedge fund, but oh, yeah. uh, ended up connecting <laughs> with the folks at Credit Suisse and and of went in house to Credit Suisse uh, to help you know Credit Suisse as they were starting up their um, commodity trading desk. And that was in 04. and the I've been paying attention to the EU emissions trading scheme as it was coming together. Basically, yeah. when that launched, we were was like, this looks like an interesting market for us to get into. And the bank was willing to try it out. So it seems like a big leap to going from sort of commodities trading side of the desk to being the CEO of a, <laughs> of a hydro company, right? So like, what was, um, what sort of first piqued your interest in hydro? Yeah. Uh, obviously, growing up on rivers sounded like part of it, right? Uh, and then realizing that there was an opportunity here to to develop and uh, not just new tech, but a new company to sort of go after the market. 
Yeah. So basically, my brother and I actually started, you know, thinking about this effectively when we were both in school. We both happened to go to MIT, and so we overlapped there for a couple of years. And and so we did some early brain. I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so we, we had done some early brainstorming in the late nineties. Um, and to a certain extent that somewhat informed like where, what I did, cause it was very clear from that. I'm like, we don't, I don't know enough about energy or how all this works to really yeah. figure out what, how you, you know, launch a, a business. Yeah. And so credit Suisse really was, a you know, in some ways, a, a, an important element <laughs> gave me a lot of exposure to not just the trading side, but also, um, how projects get financed, what happens in, you know, decisions around, around, uh, project finance, et cetera. And so, anyhow, so when, you know, and I have a, had a genuine interest as well, obviously in climate overall and carbon. And, and so there's, there was kind of like that allowed me to also explore yeah. that and, and, and gain some experience in that. And that, you know, again, kind of first big carbon market, um, that was established. And so, um, so my brother and I had picked that, those conversations up again, you know, in the late 2000s. Um, the bank, obviously with Lehman happening in 2007, that kind of like all the banks basically started to, you know, exit <laughs> various totally. parts of the business. So, you know, we, we shut Everything, down. Everything, like, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we shut right. down the commodities. <laughs> right. Uh, wound that all down. And uh, and basically by 2009, we were in a situation where we were like, okay, it might not be the best time to start a company, but actually like it's kind of this natural transition point. So let's pick up these, these ideas that we'd had for a while and, um, and like, and dig in. So, so that's what we did. Um, we were fortunate to win a grant in the, the ARA program, you know, the, the yeah. stimulus, the recovery act and uh, from the DOE and that really helped kick us off. And so we, we just decided to get going in late 2009 and won that grant and, and that kind of got us off on the early development um, work. Yeah, let's get into that for a second, but just to set the stage for the audience, because we talk a lot, the focus here, the podcast is often on the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. We talk a lot about your classic renewables, and I think hydro uh, is not often talked about enough in the renewable landscape, but just so folks know, I mean, the hydro markets, seven, if I, I may get some of this wrong, but it's 7% of the total electricity use in the country, but it's almost 40% of the total renewable use, right? And, yeah. um, and you, in as solar and wind and others are coming on board. Obviously that's dynamics changing, but hydro has historically been a very powerful part of the renewable story. So that ARA money comes in and you guys were able to use it to really start to sketch out and, and put together the tech behind the, the firm. Yeah, exactly. And just in, in context. So like what kind of tech did we want to, you know, what was, what was the kind of idea? And it yeah. was really um, if it look, you know, if you look at hydro, yes, hydro globally is about 1.3 terawatts of installed capacity globally. It's actually two thirds of the global renewable energy supply. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of resource over 11 terawatts, um, of, of like, you know, there's more than that technically, but, you know, in terms of like more realistically developable potential, um, and so, but the conundrum is, is okay, like, will we develop hydro the way we've done it for a hundred years? You know, we, we looked at that and said, you know, the approach going forward is uh, likely going to be more distributed, not necessarily building huge yeah. dams. Um, and in addition, we have to deal with the fact that over half of the fleet was installed before 1990. So we have this conundrum of an old fleet and, but yet the new model looking more distributed. And so our focus was, first and foremost on a turbine that would, because in hydropower, your choice of turbine defines the rest of your powerhouse and civil work. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so if you want to, I'll tell you, by the way, I live 20 minutes from the Niagara power. So I think people's traditional view of hydro is either Niagara falls or Grand Coulee uh, or Hoover dam. Yeah. Hoover dam. Right. It's like, that's, that's how people picture hybrid. You're going to build a huge dam. You're going to create a, uh, reservoir behind it and start pouring it out. And I mean, the, can you talk for a second and more about the distributed model? Like what, what, what that really yeah. means? Yeah. So basically if in the conventional approach, you build a big dam. And, uh, if you think of a, of a river running down a slope, um, I build a big dam at some point, you know, down slope and I integrate all of the vertical drop across that slope in one step. Yep. And what, a distributed approach. So that's kind of like if I wanted to get to the ground floor from the top of a building, I'm going to jump off the roof or parachute off the roof. Right? right. So, and in our case, what we do is we walk down the stairs, we take out that energy, but in steps as we're going down, you know, the slope of the river. Um, and by doing so, you, you still technically build things that look like that are technically from a civil engineering perspective would be considered dams, but they are very different. They are designed to enable and support river connectivity, leveraging a lot of things that are already understood for civil engineering around, for example, river you know, restoration projects, et cetera. Um, but they are much lower. Like they don't look like Hoover Dam. They, right. They don't look like beaver dams per se, but they are much more akin in some ways, for example, to a beaver dam than they are to Hoover Dam. And what does that model do for, I guess, supporting the ecosystem, right? Versus completely, in many cases, wiping out the yeah. ecosystem, right? Yeah. Yeah. You actually have a lot of positive benefits that come from that because you end up um, slowing water down as it runs across the landscape. That creates um, uh, an ability for groundwater recharge because it's it's not rocket science. I'm just slowing that water down. It spends more time on the land. It can, you know, get into the ground. Um, that helps our, you know, groundwater um, uh, and the water table. Um, that's good for flood mitigation because, again, if I have an intense precipitation event, if I if I can create, you know, a landscape that has more spongy capacity in it, effectively through this distributed approach, it's able to like mitigate a flood peak. In a drought, having more, having better groundwater is what rides gives us ride through in a drought. Like groundwater storage is many times what we can ever get in terms of surface reservoir storage. So robust groundwater is critical for both flood and drought. So you get right. those interesting co-benefits, you know, that are actually going to be increasingly critical for us in a in a you know because climate change is changing water patterns. Climate change yeah. is water change. I often say, um, and then from a species perspective. That's, you know, you design these projects so that you have bypass channels, side channels, side channel connectivity. You have things that look like a, where you're creating actually much more like wetlands and ponds as opposed to, you know, reservoirs that yeah. don't necessarily have a lot of people are taking their party out. boats out on. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so you, so you, you know, and then on the recreation side, like it's interesting. Some of the stuff folks we're working with now are like um, civil engineers that design man-made whitewater features right. where you incorporate right. a man you, you incorporate recreation it again it might not be your party boat because you don't have a big reservoir yeah, yeah, right. but different, <laughs> different, different type of uh of river recreation anyhow so, so that's like the big picture vision um yeah. of of like you know you you get a lot of these co-benefits and you get reliable renewable energy in 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 this dg model right so the the power you know what what scale are you producing power at sort of along these different steps and then how do you actually Trans transmit that power right from now you have multiple interconnections or how does that sort of work yeah absolutely so you have multiple interconnection points um one of the things that we're working on is uh can you there are a couple interesting things maybe i'll start 
first from a big picture power systems perspective. So we did some work with NREL um, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, where we looked at a distributed virtual power plant, so a cascade of 25 megawatts total. Um, I think it was like 23 individual plants, so roughly a little over a megawatt each. Not huge, you know, fairly small. Yep. And um, But each of those plants had between 10 minutes and maybe half an hour of physical storage at each node in the cascade. And so with, obviously, distributed energy resource management software, um, I can now operate that you know, distributed cascade as a 25 megawatt BPP. By doing so, I can now start to optimize the use of that those little bits of stored energy. Is you know, 10 minutes at the top turns yeah. into 230 minutes through the whole cascade, and we're able to show you could get up to 200 megawatt hours a day of dispatchable storage just oh. over using smart systems, you know, software that we have today to operate that. And if you start to pair that, then with- it, quick, quick, just quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, interruption is the the so Natalib has not just the turbines. Have you guys developed the software too, or are you partnering with a software provider that provides that? We uh, have some of the elements. So, like for example, a software component that we have developed is a more accurate water forecast, yeah. um, and that's critical because like forecasting my flow is my fuel, which helps helps understand that sure. that problem. Um, but for the uh, control side, we're working with partners who've already you know have robot there's a lot of really great work that has been you know done on sure for sure yeah management. And is then, that where schneider comes in in terms of their investment have you guys partnered with schneider on that uh that's what that was definitely a motivation for them yes, yeah of course absolutely. yeah and then the um and then the next step is to integrate for example with batteries and there's i think now where things start to even get more interesting which is when you look at the charge discharge cycle of of like what makes the most efficient use of battery spend, you know, charge discharge cycle really drives life. And yep. so maximizing, you know, useful battery life versus my investments critical and distributed hydro paired with batteries gives you a really great charge discharge cycle profile. And that's, and, and none of it's, in, again, not all of this stuff, we're going to need everything we can get to the grid. So it's just yeah. like trying to find where do you put all these pieces together in a way that creates the most grid value um, at the lowest cost so that we can actually take, you know, the 730 gigawatts of thermal fossil generation off the grid in 15 yep. years, right? Like that's, that's an aggressive um, Super challenge aggressive. while yep. maintaining reliability. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. I think, so I'm going to step back for a second. I think the folks view what you guys have brought to the table is pretty, uh, pretty tremendous, tremendous. The fact that you even brought for, we've talked about breakthrough ventures before on this, on the show. And like the fact that breakthrough came through and invested means that they, you know, really see this as an opportunity to really, as their title says, breakthrough here, right. And try to solve this. How did, as you guys were developing, I want to step back to just quickly before we get, cause you got that investment happened in the spring. Uh, yes. By the way, congratulations on closing it investment during the kickoff of COVID. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I, no, I, so to be, to be clear, that ha- I mean, it happened before kickoff. We didn't know. Oh, it did? <laughs> I saw the article from March. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. They did that no, 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 no. <laughs> that that, there's been a little bit of a delay there, but yeah. Yeah, no. So R, you get the R money. You spent the next, what, basically five or six years developing the the technology. What led to, you know, the the, the significant investment that both Schneider and Breakthrough came in was that as, you know, technology's here, we've proven the case, and now we're going to grow and accelerate? Like, what is that? What sort of brought, the, not just the need for that investment, but, you know, what was the trigger point for you to say, okay, 
this is the right investment to take at this time to launch the company. Right. So basically uh, solving the problem of how to make a turbine that works for this distributed hydrovision is hard, is not necessarily a trivial one. And so yeah, we went down, you know, when you look at the criteria, you're like, okay, this distributed vision, what do you need? You need to be, you know, cheap, you need to be compact, you need to be modular, all those things kind of relate at the end of the day to driving down costs. You need to be high performance. So the turbine needs to be very efficient because again, you're not going to, uh, that helps generate more megawatt hours and uh, drives towards cost. And critically, you need to be fish safe in places where, um, like not every, place around the world has regulations for fish but in general we want to like where you where you do have regulations for fish being fish safe from a practical perspective helps reduce cost because then you don't have to screen um, right like oh, so that's, the, that's the standard approach is like if you aren't fish safe you put a big screen in front of your intake and you say safe, fish safe literally a fish could swim through this and not be affected correct correct and size dependence of course right so yeah of course large, yeah, so Always make that very that clear. So, so those were our cri- design criteria, and uh, we started down a design path that went to a completely novel powertrain. It was a linear machine, um, and uh, and so basically for a couple of different reasons, we thought that would be a better a, a good path to go down. And to do, to then make that tech work, we had to design fish safe, efficient blades, and we had to make a reliable linear powertrain. We solved the fish safe, efficient blades challenge relatively quickly. The linear powertrain was a much heavier lift to be blunt. So we went through yeah. three generations. We got some early prototypes installed and some early demonstrate like pilot neo-style projects. Um, and we were solving problems on the powertrain, but basically got to a point where it it became clear to the team that, you know, really we needed to like go back to the drawing board and say, like, is there a different way for us to take to achieve the end objective, which is not actually to make a linear powertrain, but is to make a turbine that meets these those initial criteria. And we realized we could actually adapt the now that we understood enough about how to make high performance fish safe blade shapes that we could put that on a conventional rotating powertrain. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that was really what um what like pivoted things. So so we went through this big pivot in 2018, late 2018, and that led to to then the investments in 2019. And, and you uh, raised that capital because it was it was time to scale. The... It's not yeah we we finally we were able to go and, and literally we went from from like the 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 point where we're like yep this is we're gonna take these you know blade shapes put them on a conventional rotating machine and from that decision to having a first unit built and tested with proven fish passage results and proven perform power curve performance over ninety percent was less than six months wow. and, and where is that test is that testing done in Enrel where is that testing done. Uh, it was done at a mixture of the fish testing was done at a lab in Massachusetts called Alden Research Lab, which is one of the nation's leading fish labs, fish test labs. And then we um, did the uh, power curve testing. At, we actually have a test facility at our own um, oh, amazing. facility in Alameda. Yeah. So we did that there and independent engineers, you know, come in and, you know, they run the tests, but it's it's built on our own facility. Um, so, so that, it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So this is this super interesting. So the, the cap, you guys brought the capital in to sort of now scale up. Can you talk to me for a second about the economics of one of these projects? Like, as you go to put these in, like, how are you guys, are you financing those based on the capital you raised on the corporate side? Or are you doing like project level financing now going into these opportunities? Yeah. So our first two projects, so we have two projects installed at this point. We we installed our first customer project in 2019 at the end of the year. So in, in December of 2019, and it's a small net metered project um, in Maine. It uh, supplies 
you know, Bay Power is a little school and uh, in a cool. restaurant, you know, in an old mill building. Um, and that deal. And was, are they doing a, do they have like a PPA off the power? Is that how it sort of works or is it? Well, it's under main. Just because it's net metering. Gotcha. Net metering. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a net metering contract. Um, and then, uh, and customer finance that we, we, uh, you know, uh, we took some risk in getting the project delivered. Sure. Ultimately that's a customer project. So it's owned by the, by the customer. Um, now that, now that it's in operation and working, it's, it's owned by the customer. Um, that was the first project. Second project, um, was one where we did, uh, it, it was one that we'd started development on early and we, we do, we did bear, you know, most of the costs. Some of it was grant grant funded, um, and getting that installed. And that installation just happened, uh, or happened earlier this year in August, September. Um, and that is a project in Oregon called the Monroe Hydro Project. Um, that's, uh, that project's now, it, it's a, our first installation of our one megawatt class turbine. Oh, that's great. And, um, it is, uh, and then our next projects that we have contracted are our first contracts, which I think of as being truly, um, more like the, the, you know, a bankable situation where, yeah. where they are, um, being financed by the customer, um, and, uh, and that there's a debt, you know, piece, uh, as well on the construction. And so you sort of see these, is there a tax, is there a tax credit for hydro? I don't even know that. Yeah, it tax gets uh, sorry, hydro gets both a PTC. You can choose PTC or ITC. Um in in almost all cases the ITC is the right choice for hydro. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that is that currently ramping down like solar or will that be hopefully affected in the new like do you see I, oh, let me let me change that around. There's a obviously going to be a major infrastructure push here, right? With the new administration and you know how do you, is hydro sort of at the table uh with the other technologies in terms of trying to get some of these solutions forward in the Biden plan? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're with the national hydropower um, association. We are actively engaged in those discussions because, um, yeah, it, it'll be critical in helping to drive forward uh, additional okay. deployment for sure. So let's use that to sort of look forward. So, you know, you guys have done some really amazing stuff over the last decade and now proof of concept is there your new second project out, you know, you got some bankable projects coming, you know, what is, what is the, what does the hydro situation look like in 2030 and how do we get there? Yeah. So over the next uh, three to five years, I would say over the next couple of years, a lot of our, when we look at the market and, and for hydro and how hydro can play, our focus is, is in the very, very near term, we have old small hydro plants, um, thousands of them that produce you know, reliable renewable energy into the grid today, but um, have old turbines. In some cases, you know, you have plants that have, you know, two out of four, two out of six turbines are already sure. offline. Retrofit those. Yeah. So you basically, there's a, you know, modernization repowering opportunity. Yeah. Um, and by doing so, you now take these old plants and you, 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 they have modern turbines, modern controls, and they're fish safe. Yeah. Then, um, then we have. And what, like what scale of opportunity is that in terms of either megawatts or dollars? Yeah. So that's, you know, in the, again, it's like several thousands of plants you're probably looking at. Um, it's, it's on the order of a, maybe a gig or so it's, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, an initial opportunity. There's a bigger opportunity in Europe. Um, yeah. like, but, but having that retrofit opportunity just to, for folks that aren't, I mean, it's, it's, it's much quicker, right? You're not having yeah. new permitting. You're not having, it's interconnections there. Play. Offtake yeah. is there actually in many cases, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's a much more, the, yeah, that's the, great. The, the lead time is, is short. So that's kind of initial, you know, sell into that space. Um, and that's where we have a pretty active, um, uh, you know, book of work that we're, we're focused on getting closed in that space. And then 
The second chunk is in non-powered dams. So there's, you know, the headline stats are over 90,000 existing uh, dams in the United States. Less yeah. than 2,400 of those are hydropower facilities. So the vast majority are non-powered. Of those, so like total gigawatts is like about 13 gigs from a you know DOE study in 2013. Of those, we look at, you know, when you subset down to the things that we think are developable, which is a combination of, you know, can you get interconnection? Are they going to good power market? Uh, you know, do they have, are they relatively clean structures to deal with? Stuff like that. And we think that's probably more like a four or five gig opportunity. Yeah. And uh, and for those, then, you know, that's where we're working with a couple of different uh, development partners. Doing We're doing some development ourselves as well, but mostly working with development partners where we go and say, okay, here's the most cost-effective way to take advantage of our, you know, technology advantages to build compact power plants that, again, are yeah. modern, fish-safe, make power from these. And those plants are generally going to be between a couple megawatts and 20 megawatts at the large end. like right individual plant. And in many cases, you will end up with cascades of those because they were, you know, these are, you know, locks and dams that were built in cascades right, to help manage right. navigation, you know, in, in, in prior um, times. So that's, that's the next chunk. And then the, you know, blue sky, the, as we look out 2025 to 2030, where things, we think things start to get really interesting um, beyond this initial, like get stuff, you know, moving is actually to take first, of those 90,000 dams, again, only a subset of those we think are going to be, be make sense to put power on as they are. Um, but there is a big chunk there, which is, I think, presents, we think presents a really interesting opportunity to combine modernization of the water infrastructure with river restoration and new energy. And that's what we call restoration hydro. Um, we were part of a group over the last two years that brought together the river community and the hydropower industry. Yeah. Um, that released a joint statement about a month and a half ago about this opportunity, or partly about this opportunity. Um, it covers a couple different. Did things. you work with like the river keepers and some of those folks in that? American Rivers, uh, yeah, yeah, like so, yeah, American Rivers, Union Concerned Scientists, um, uh, NHA, a couple other folks in the hydro industry. Um, yeah. There were a number. Yeah, it was a, it was a very good group of um, of uh, environmental NGOs and and industry folks. Yeah. And coming out of that, we're like, okay, you can take an exit. Some of these old dams are old and unsafe, right? Like we had the two dams that failed in Michigan <laughs> earlier, right. Year, right? And so not to, you know, at, at the end of the day, the the point is to say, okay, old, unsafe, old dams that have outlived their purpose. Um, how can we, uh, you know, take those dams out and, or reconfigure them in ways that deliver benefit? And we're actually funded by right now by the Department of Energy doing um, on a grant project, working with uh, natural systems design, which is one of the uh, a leading engineering firm that has done work on dam removal and river restoration. And it's just really cool stuff. It's like taking things that are have already been deployed and proven in river restoration projects, but adapting that civil engineering to build new hydro that yep. is now sustainable. And uh, so that's, again, restoration hydro, we see that as like this big, there's a, there's a, that's where the really big growth potential is like that's how you unlock the 65 gigawatts of resource potential that the DOE noted in again that 2013 report. Yeah. We have a lot of resource. It's just how do we how we have to develop that in a sustainable way. And so when you sort of last question just from a timing perspective, but thinking about from a developer perspective, when you look at things like solar and storage, it is a state by state game right now. 
right? Is it 50, you have to have a, almost a 50 state strategy, really probably a 10 or 12 or 15 state strategy. Is yeah. hydro are the same sort of, uh, like I think about, you know, the, the climate solutions they're pushing here in New York, or of course, California, where you are, or Massachusetts uh, or Maine, you know, what, what are some of the key target states for you in terms of developing opportunity? Uh, yeah, I would, I would actually say, um, New York, New England, PJM, those are like West. So, so it is, it is the, there's a lot of opportunity in New York and New England in particular. There's a lot of opportunity in PJM. I do think that, you know, New York is, is when we look at the country, you know, New York and California in terms of, of, of policy and regulatory drivers, you know, and, and, and thought leadership around, distributed energy resources. How do we get more of that? How do we integrate that in the grid? How do we help those resources add to grid reliability as we transition to a zero carbon grid? You know, those, you know, those two states definitely stand out. So we're definitely focused there they, they, because there's also a good resource as well. So we have right. strong alignment both with resource and, and with the state policies. And then opportunity set wise, again, there's a lot in New England. There's a lot in PJM um, in particular right now. I think you, are you targeting like local developers to... So to educate them to go out or like, do you have a, an, an army that's hitting these <laughs> in the street trying to find, uh, find we do a bit of both. So I, so, yeah. so we have a couple partnerships, um, you know, folks that we're working with who are developers. Um, and then we are also, I mean, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of, uh, time building, building our internal tools to understand and look at sites yeah. And so we also have a, a bit of our own internal development work as well. Excellent. And then finally, if you could go back to yourself, this is a final question I always ask uh, my guests, but if you can go back to yourself, either graduating MIT or leaving Texas to go to MIT and you could sit down and, and uh, give yourself any advice, what would it be? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard to, to, to look back. Like I have, I have this off of this funny, another thing that I often think about, which is, which is uh, one wants to always learn from one's past experience, but not regret because right. like, it's just like, I don't know what, what regret really, uh, not that that was the point of the question, but I think in terms of learnings, the man, <laughs> I wish I had more, more ability to do more. I wish I had more hours in the day. That's not yeah. really a good like thing, but it's just like, like, okay. Classic because it's a entrepreneur multi- problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a multifunctional problem. Like we are part, you know, we, it, it's energy. So we have to deal with like a regulatory framework. You just have to fight. It's it's like chess on many levels, right? Yeah. You need to get the tech, the tech, right. You need to turn that tech into a product that fits the customer need correctly. You need to, you know, keep moving the regulatory framework and the pol- political landscape. In, yeah. the, you know, in the right direction. All of those things have to, uh, then you got to scale production, you got to execute projects. Like we just, this project that we're, you know, uh, the, the work we're just uh, announcing today where we you know, got, got Monroe installed, got it commissioned, and then completed this really great fish testing, uh, had this really great fish testing uh, result, you know, in the field with PNNL. That that happened in COVID. Like for, ex- for right. example, right? Like, like when COVID hit, we were already like, you know, we needed to get that project in the ground this year. Yeah. And, and it has been, it was an incredible march just to make sure that like, you know, like we have suppliers in Wisconsin, we have suppliers all over and we're trying to, you know, cause we outsource, we're outsourcing the production of all this. And so sure. you know, if they shut down, then we're like, Oh, right. Um, anyhow, so the bottom line is, is, is I think that the only way you do that is by having a good team and you have like, it's just, you, it's not possible to do that as an individual. And I think that the advice I would give myself is, is just that it's, it's really, it takes 
it takes a really great team and then a broader community to be to 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 make it possible to do what we are all trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and that Does that include your brother? Is it nice working with your brother? Great working with ask brother. about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome. And so I think we have a great team. I always wish that I had you know, more pro, more sooner rather like sooner than we had, like it's yeah. one of those things that the more, the more quickly you can aggregate, you know, a good team, the better because yeah. it, it, it creates the the capacity to actually execute this. I, I go back to your chess analogy. I call it nine dimensional chess. You got to be able to play nine dimensional chess to, get, to move these things forward. Absolutely. So th- thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to follow you all closely and um, would love to find ways to work with you. You've really interesting work and so critical to solving the climate crisis. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat a little bit more about this and uh, share a bit about what we're doing. You can always find out more at uh, Natel Energy, N-A-T-E-L energy.com. Of course, we'll link to that. I want to thank Jenny Bourne and the team at BAM for helping to put this together and uh, our producer, Colin Young uh, and Carly Batten for helping to put the conversation together today. You can find more episodes at cleancapital.com. And uh, in the future, look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much, Gia. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.